Let me hear your bars. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple with a third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I'm Andrew Berg, joined tonight by Coach B. Coach, everybody wants to know how did the Lincoln Links do on Friday? That's the, the everyone's waiting with bated breath. <laughs> the Links did fantastic. Uh, they got over, you know, they, they picked up right where they left off last year, got over that uh, season opening loss to Kings with a huge 42 to 3 win over Nathan Hale so oh wow uh good to be back yeah i think they had like i believe it was a 28 point second quarter four straight possessions where it was fumble fumble uh stop on fourth down and then a pick that they cashed all four of those turnovers in for touchdowns so resounding win gets the season right back on course and uh, uh wins kind of that neighborhood rivalry right there in north seattle so yeah it must have been very inspirational to play just a few hundred yards from the wwe smackdown event happening at clown pledge arena at the same time probably got everybody extra fired (laughs) up uh gaby's not available this week she's she's still busy liberating the northern ukrainian rail lines but she does promise that she'll be back soon once that whole uh skirmish is taken care of but let's talk about football let's talk about portland state it's it's so much more fun to talk about and follow and watch the Huskies when they're playing well. And I know this is just an FCS win, but it was very fun to watch. Uh, Michael Penix, we'll start with him again. Nearly perfect, except for one ball that sailed on him at the end of the first half for an interception. Uh, but the thing that was maybe even more impressive to me was the emergence of the run game. We talked last week about how that would be something we'd be watching after Kent State schematically made it difficult to establish much of a push up front. But we saw really strong flashes from uh, Talia Papa, Cam Davis, and even Richard Newton coming in kind of in garbage time, piling up yards. And it must've been really exciting for you to see uh, Roger Rosengarten and Henry Benavalu on the right side, just clearing out space. What would, what were you seeing when the offense was just clicking this way, particularly the run game? It was great to see everything kind of come together. I mean, granted, like you said, FCS opponents. So, you know, we had some expectations that this would happen, that, that we'd see a little bit more uh, explosiveness from the run game. Um, and I'm, I'm reading along in kind of our agenda outline today, and it warms my cockles as an offensive line guy. Uh, that got a giggle out of me over there, Andrew. Um, yeah, I wrote that down to see... tell you. To, I meant to ask you if it warmed your cockles, and I forgot to actually say it. So this is a total waste of a <laughs> funny line. Thanks for salvaging it. Yeah, no, but it was it was great to see the O line get some push. Um, you know, for some Husky fans, maybe a little bit of PTSD with the Wildcat right back out on the field uh, this week, but to great success. You know, there's there's a couple of big run plays. Uh, it was really good to see Richard Newton back on the field. He had a pretty nice, uh, I think it was like a 20, uh, 21-yard run sometime. Uh, I think it was second or third quarter there on a toss play. Looks pretty explosive, looked um, healthy and trusting the knee. I, it was a ACL injury, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Right, against and UCLA, sometimes, so 
less than a year back. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it takes a while for folks to really trust that reconstructed knee, but um, he looks like he's picking up right where he left off as that physical back. I mean, all of our running backs that saw extended uh, playing time this weekend showed some grit, uh, got some of those tough yards as well as some of those explosive plays uh, when they got uh, a crease. So, um, you know, uh, it, it's encouraging to see everything kind of come together. You know, we knew that this offensive line was going to be pretty athletic with the uh, additions of Rosengarden, Fautanu, and uh, Luciano into the lineup. And, you know, early returns look promising, especially in pass protection, but the athleticism seemed to translate a little bit better this week in, into the run game. Had some perimeter plays. Um, mm-hmm. It was good to see somebody like Kalepo at guard. There was uh, one of the early touchdowns. I believe it was the first touchdown. It was a one-back power play uh, off tackle. Kalepo, despite being a behemoth of a human being, um, pulled around, got in front of the running back. I, I want to say it was Cam Davis and uh, let him in to the end zone. So great to see all around and, uh, you know, excited for next week. Yeah, that was that play. It was Cam Davis. And I, I made note of that play because Davis didn't just go headfirst into the defenders, but he kind of uh, slithered and high stepped away from some arm tackles, which was something I think we knew was in his repertoire, but he probably didn't do as much of as we'd like to see in the past. Maybe just didn't have the room to do it, but it was nice to see him uh, get into the end zone that way. So just across the board, way more encouraging in the run game. But at the same time, the passing game didn't really miss a beat. Romo Dunze didn't play. We didn't get official word, but it sounded like he either had some sort of illness or minor uh, injury that's not going to keep him out long term and should be back next week. But in his stead, we got Giles Jackson filling in as a playmaker, going over 100 yards for the first time in his career. Jalen McMillan had the what very well maybe the longest play of the year for the Husky offense, uh, the 86 yard touchdown. It was such an exciting play, just watching him run away from everybody. It is the first time that the Huskies have had a pair of hundred dragged receivers in the same game since Dante Pettis and John Ross did it in 2016. So anytime you can start comparing this offense to the 2016 offense, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. We talked about at the beginning here, this was against an FCS defense. All of what we just talked about, all the plaudits and all the, the positive things. Did we learn anything this week? Is there anything we can take away from it and say, this is not something we were confident in a week ago, but now we are feeling more confident in it. Uh, two big things that we kind of already touched on that um, kind of stick out to me. One is that we seem to have four solid options in uh, the backfield for running back. I think it's pretty clear to say that Wayne and uh, Cam Davis are going to be our top two backs. They seem like the most well-rounded skill sets uh, thus far. Tough runners, but have some wiggle, have some of that big playability. Um, uh, Ryan Grubb and uh, a couple other offensive coaches have uh, made comments in the past that they're looking for those explosives. Mike Worrell had a great uh, quote this week. I believe it was from Jamarcus Shepard or Grubb. I can't remember which one. But uh, the offensive staff defines explosive plays as 12 plus yards on the ground or 16 plus yards mm-hmm. in a passing game. And I think this was a series of Tony that... Castricone tweets. The, the radio guy might, tweeting might, about it. 
might might have been that. Yeah, it was it was one of the uh, UW media folks. I remember seeing something about that, but uh, I think all four running backs being Wayne, Cam Davis, Richard Newton, and Will Nixon, the four that we've seen the most um, action with, they all have the ability to hit those explosives, right? So that's going to be key as we get into the Michigan State game and then the meat of our uh, schedule and conference play in we shouldn't see a big drop-off at any point. You know, four bodies, that's a ton of bodies to go through always a fresh, uh, always having fresh legs in there and uh, really setting the tone on the ground. And then the second thing that I really took away from this past game is Giles Jackson, which we already touched on a little bit. Great game. It's kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a breakout just yet due to the opponent that we played this past weekend, Portland State. But he looked super sharp, especially towards the end of the first half on kind of those uh, on that two minute drive to get into field goal range where he was snagging every pass in his direction, real crisp on his routes, kind of coming out of that slot position, um, out breaking routes. He seems to have that chemistry with panics and uh, that having that extra option in there after Rome and Jalen and Polk and all of that we'll have a similarly deep rotation at receiver as well. And, and having that reliable first down possession threat while also having some wiggle, he, he showed off his uh, after the catch abilities a little bit there. I'm expecting big things out of him uh, moving forward. So um, no concern there. You know, it's, it's always going to be tough on a defense to kind of account for two playmakers at the receiver position. But now we have, you know, three, four, five guys now that can really do some damage. So uh, it'll be really exciting to see just what the ceiling of this offense will be moving forward. Another thing that was interesting to me about Jackson's performance this weekend was going into the year when we it was either talking to you or talking to Gaby on the podcast about the receiver depth chart and talked about how Jackson really struggled last year. And I chalked it up to kind of a lack of creative play calling that he's a the type of player who would thrive on misdirection, getting the ball in space, things like jet sweeps, real wheel routes, screen passes, just stuff to kind of get him the ball and let him use his shiftiness and his quick acceleration and his ability to um, create space for himself. And it wasn't really that it was, you might be a little on the smaller side, but you're just going to run really good routes and you're going to catch the ball and you're going to run after the catch. It was just like, it wasn't, you're a gadget player. It was, you're just a good receiver, which kind of changed my perception of him in a really positive way. And hopefully we get to see him continue doing that against uh, more formidable opponents. But yeah, I think that's a, a really good call that that was something we learned uh, this week that the vision for Jackson isn't necessarily as some kind of hybrid, you know, Chico McClatcher role, but is, you're going to be a really successful wide receiver. That's great. A hundred percent. I'm so glad that you brought up that particular point because I think Jackson thus far, only two games into the season, is a great example of the Jamarcus Shepard effects on Montlake, right? Mm-hmm. Is Jackson came from Michigan, which in the Harbaugh tenure um, wasn't really known for – really dynamic 
um, receivers. I mean, they had some great talents at receiver uh, up there in Ann Arbor, but nobody that immediately jumped out as this guy was a great recruit, develops really, uh, really well while there, and then went to the league type of a thing. It was they were just athletes out there and more of the focus was in the run game and some of the tight ends, some of that sort of thing. Um, so once he got here, um, Jackson, we, we all knew he had some talent and some athleticism to kind of grow into that receiver, but we didn't see a whole lot in that early returns last year uh, when coached by junior Adams, but just that big leap that he took in the off season and kind of showing some of that, much more consistent hands, really crisp routes, getting that separation and turning it into like an actual wide receiver rather than just an athlete at wide receiver. It was huge. And I think it'll be a really good selling point for recruits down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could say, hey, this is the guy who turned Rondell Moore into a, you know, five foot seven All-American and, and early draft pick NFL player. Uh, but when you could say we're also, this is also the guy who did it locally on this team in this offense with this offensive coordinator uh, with Giles Jackson. And I, I mean, Giles Jackson has a long way to go to be Rondell Moore, but proof of concept it's happened before. Uh, let's talk exactly. about the, the, the defense while we're, while we're at it. It's hard to nitpick too much when you give up six points on 131 yards. We talked last week in the preview about Dante Shasher or, Kasher, you know, I, I I stumbled over that name last week, and then I went to the game, so I didn't hear them talk, saying the name very often, and I feel like no more confident saying it now. Anyway, he had two point nine yards per pass attempt and point seven yards per rush after kind of keeping the team in the game uh, the week before against San Jose State with his uh, scrambling ability. And when where we highlighted that as a potential area of concern after the Huskies had some trouble with Collin Schley and uh, Kent State's quarterback scrambling. There were still some wide receivers getting behind the secondary. I think that was something we were also worried about, and it it was definitely true again. Uh, there are two instances where uh, Michelle Powell got beat, and he had to uh, either hold or interfere, although the second time he probably didn't have to. He still did. Uh, and even on plays that weren't completed, they they had a very poor, uh, ultimately poor you know yards per pass attempt, but they were the, the yards were there to be had by a better opponent. Uh, what do you see from that? Is it is it something that's still concerning to you? Uh, obviously, Jordan Perriman was out for the game. That that had an effect as well. But when we're seeing Powell kind of struggling two weeks in a row against lesser competition, has to be a little bit of a red flag. Yeah, it was. It's tough for me to come out decisively one way or another on what to take away from this defensive performance. The stats are a lot better, you know, the things that we can all look at in the box score. Um, the challenge for me with this kind of making any, drawing any conclusions from this performance was that while their quarterback, who I will refer to as Dante and not embarrass myself if I pronounce his <laughs> last name, um, while he was mobile, it was mo mobility in a different sort of a sense. Uh, Schley uh, for Kent State was a scrambler to throw and was really, really good at it against our defense in week one. Um, whereas kind of what I pieced together from watching some of the San Jose State game highlights and then watching Portland State's 
game against us this past week is that uh, Dante was a lot more of a scramble to run and gain yards that way, where he wasn't trying to be elusive and then make a play downfield. So my concern is that we're still a little bit susceptible to that. Our defense is geared towards getting pressure, forcing bad throws that help kind of bail out potentially more porous back-end coverage. So it's kind of yet to be seen if we can really keep a lid on a quarterback with that particular skill set. And then Portland State's offense wasn't as RPO-heavy as um, Kent State's was. So, you know, we didn't see quite as much of the QB run game, like designed run game that we might see with an opponent like UCLA with uh, DTR. So that changes the mathematics in the box and at the line of scrimmage and all that sort of stuff. So still some open questions. I think we still have a ways to go in getting consistent play out of our DBs, um, particularly at corner. We saw a number of bodies rotate through a corner. Powell was in there. We had uh, we saw some extended reps for Devon Banks, which was good to see. Um, you know, we, we had heard a lot of positive reports out of uh, spring practice and fall camp about his upside. I haven't had a chance to really watch through the entire game, specifically looking at him just yet. So, you know, I'll kind of defer my comments on his individual play until later. But, uh, you know, it's still a number of open questions overall for the defense, but there were some really great positives. Um, Things like the pass rush looked much better. They were much more consistent against, albeit, you know, a lesser opponent. But it is good to see, like, okay, if everything clicks, the pass rush does its part, the back-end coverage holds on just long enough for the for the pass rush to get home. Um, you know, we, we will have a solid defense if all of those things come together. Yeah, and you mentioned the pass rush being an essential element of the pass defense in general, and I, that's especially true with this team. And when we said there were yards to be had beating uh, some of the cornerbacks deep, that was only half true because the quarterback was under so much pressure that he wasn't able to either get the pass away or deliver it accurately, largely because Braylon Trice was in his face every single time he tried to throw the ball. Jeremiah Martin was right there too. Cam Bright was filling holes really well the whole game. I I think he showed up a little bit more in run defense than in pass defense, but was really successful. You mentioned uh, Banks. We saw some Markel Esteen and JV on green, which was a bit of a surprise The true freshman uh, getting some run late in the game, which is great to see. I mean, getting some game reps for younger players like that and then playing well, even against a lesser opponent is building confidence. And it's, it's very much a step in the right direction uh, before we move off the Portland state game and start talking about Sparty coming to town, anything else you want to do to put a bow on uh, the, the 52 to six game that just was. Yeah. I'll, I'll, um, give a shout out to one other young player that got some game time, Denzel Boston. Um, yeah. I was kind of surprised that he, he got some reps. Um, we had heard that he was doing all the right things to earn himself some playing time, that he was a candidate to not redshirt this year. So him getting his first touchdown this week um, was really cool to see. He, 
He does provide another big body target, some big play potential. He he seems, you know, pretty athletic, pretty quick on that uh, jet sweep touchdown that he got uh, towards the end of the game. So, um, you know, I, I like that the coaching staff is being honest with themselves and with the players. And, hey, if you do what we ask you to do, you will earn um, – some playing time despite you know some of the others more senior more experienced players on the team um and kind of having a true open competition for a lot of that yeah i'm with you there i I think that's that's another good one it's fun to see some of those guys as the schedule kind of tightens up a little bit we'll probably see less of them as the year goes on but let's take our break now we'll come back we've got a lot to talk about with michigan state coming to town and you know maybe the premier a husky stadium game of the year so stick with us and we'll be right back to talk about that one thanks for listening and sticking with us we're going to talk a little bit about michigan state just a quick uh intro to the spartans coming to town they're up to 11th in the ap poll ninth in the coaches poll so far this year their results look a lot like ours they decisively beat western michigan in their opener and then obliterated akron in week two uh, also scoring exactly 52 points they went 12 and 2 last year they had wins over michigan pitt miami penn state they're the peach bowl champs they returned quarterback peyton thorne uh was kind of a little bit more the the game manager type uh running back kenneth walker the third is obviously gone he's a seahawk now but jarek brassard transferred from colorado followed his old coach uh, mel tucker from boulder up to east lansing so you know we talk about michigan state being not just a name brand but there's a lot of quality on this team uh, as well. Stylistically, they're a little bit heavier on the run side, but 60-40 uh, rush to pass. The rush defense has kind of been uh, has, has been improved so far for the Huskies, but this is going to be a different sort of challenge. How do you like UW's chances against a team like Michigan State that wants to run the ball, wants to you know play between the tackles, block up front, and overpower you, and historically has been able to do that? You know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more confident as this game comes up. Well, at least more so than during the preseason before we got any sort of film to work off of and kind of get a feel for what this team in particular looks like for Michigan State. I mean, everybody knows, like you mentioned, Kenneth Walker, a great player last year for them. is a transfer in from, I believe, like Wake Forest or something. So his, you know, departure after the season to the NFL draft kind of left that hole in their offense. And I remember doing a article earlier this year about how he had some ridiculous, like 60% of their total offense kind of statistic going there. Unlike UW, there are some open questions about their quarterback play. Uh, Peyton Thorne, while a returning starter, hasn't looked quite as sharp as you would have hoped. Uh, from Michigan State heading into the game this weekend. He, I think he's like four touchdowns to three interceptions against kind of a similar, you know, week early season um, schedule. While the final scores of both games have been decidedly in their favor, um, I don't know how much confidence they'll actually have in putting the game in his hands if need be. They'll want to lean on. Um, the run game yet again and trying to see how far they can get with that before really turning it over to Thorne uh, down the stretch. 
Uh, Jarek Broussard, great player um, when he was at Colorado, had some injury concerns and, and never really put together a complete season. But he won't be the only one shouldering the load in the run game for Michigan State. Uh, they also have transfer running back from Wisconsin. I believe his name is Jalen Berger, mm-hmm. who seems to have taken on a little bit more of a lead running back role, at least as of last week. He's another tremendously talented running back that has, uh, I think he was like a top 200 recruit in the country coming out of high school. He has some of that breakaway speed and um, some physical running. So uh, between those two, I think they'll try to uh, establish a run game and keep as much off of Peyton Thorne's plate as possible. But, um, you know, it'll be our first test against a, uh, similarly talented, if not more talented roster. But, you know, right now Vegas seems to like, you know, our chances. I think right now we're standing at a three-and-a-half-point favorite uh, heading into this weekend. So, you know, I'm, I'm a lot more confident having done all the things that we needed to do. We checked all the boxes. We answered as many questions as possible. Quarterback play is decidedly in our favor as of right now. So, you know, I – I'm always going to be a little hesitant to say that, you know, to go all in on the Huskies against, uh, you know, a strong team from the Big Ten. But, you know, I don't see why we shouldn't have a chance to win. Yeah, and I think you talk about the specific strengths and weaknesses of the team that uh, we just spent 20 minutes talking about the Husky defense and how the biggest question mark, the thing that has proved most problematic through two games is the secondary particularly uh, having to cover deep downfield. And then we talk about Michigan State kind of preferring not to have to play that way, that they'd rather play it a little bit safer in the passing game and run more than they pass. Not to say that we've lit the world on fire with our run defense. We just haven't had the opportunity against high-end opponents to prove that we can do that. But it hasn't been a sore spot the way that the pass defense has. And then add to that, that Jaden Reed, who's Michigan State's best wide receiver, probable future uh, NFL player, left the game last week after having a rough fall on the into the Gatorade table on the sideline, never came back. And then his status for next week is up in the air. Uh, sounds like Michigan State, from what I can gather, is very much a uh, behind the curtain type of program. They don't give out public depth charts. I don't think they're going to share much injury news either. So Reed may be totally fine, but if there's a chance he's either uh, unavailable or less than hundred percent, that's another tool that could be used to exploit the biggest weakness on our defense. That's just not available. I, I think it's interesting. We look at the other side of it as well. Defensively, Mel Tucker, we know him from Colorado, loved to blitz. He loved to blitz from different angles. He loved to put pressure on the quarterback. And he's done a lot of the same thing at Michigan State. They're leading the nation in sacks right now. They have Jacoby Wind, uh, Windman, uh, a kind of an edge rusher who already has five and a half sacks through two two games. We haven't run into an elite pass rush yet. Uh, Michael Penix has really stayed upright. He hasn't really had problems uh, in pass protection, even in the first game when the run blocking was substandard. The pass blocking was really good. What From what you're seeing, how do you think the UW – pass protection is likely to hold up against a much, much better pass for us than what we've seen so far. I think we'll be better than, you know, if you just look at the experience level for our tackles, I think we'll do better than what a lot of national folks would expect. 
uh, have not maybe watched our games as closely. I mentioned it last week where it was good to see that Michael Penix is kind of a major factor in his own pass protection schemes and some of those checks. He that having that veteran presence back there to identify blitzes and kind of parse through some of the false uh, signals and looks that uh, an opponent like Michigan State will present to us um, and kind of getting all of his guys into the same page and coming up with a plan and then understanding, okay, well, if they're bringing six guys and we only have five guys, we need to bring somebody in, you know, keep the running back in to pass protect. Okay, maybe not, but I know that this guy is going to be coming free, so I know that I have to go, you know, get the ball out quickly. You know, it's it kind of it's all kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Is it, you know, does it is it all on the offensive line to kind of you know, hold up in pass protection to give time to the quarterback, or does the quarterback have to go and help out the offensive line to uh, by by getting out the, the pass quickly and some some all that right. So I think having that veteran presence back there will elevate everything a little bit, especially against this type of a scheme and, you know, hopefully minimize the impact their stronger pass rush will have on the game as a whole and open up some of those uh, opportunities to make a big play through the air. Yeah. I I mean, that's definitely kind of what you'd hope for, right? I, I think that's, you could, like I was saying, you could kind of see a version of this game playing out where Michigan State can run the ball, but not enough to really have those types of explosive plays that drive long, successful drives against our defense. And our pass protection holds up enough that they just don't have the offensive firepower to keep up with us. And we win a somewhat high scoring game where Michigan State's just not equipped to score enough points to kind of keep up with what we're able to put on the board. You mentioned that I think at the time we're recording, that's a three and a half point spread. The Huskies are favored, which is a little surprising since Michigan State in these same polls where they're ranked 11th and 9th in the country. UW is either not receiving votes or receiving, you know, votes that would place us in the mid 30s of the rankings or lower. Um, and even some of the advanced stat engines, I know SP plus is one that I like to follow Uh has the Huskies in the forties and Michigan state in the high teens. So I I think you put all that together. There's still, this is a really good opponent and just expecting the team that, that kind of fell on its face last year to just say, we're going to beat the 10th or 11th best team in the country coming right out of the gate this year. is still a tall task, but putting that all together, if you had to pick a final score right now, you don't have to give me exact numbers, but who's the winner. And if, if, you know, where do we fall relative to the spread in the end? I think, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say we cover, and I think we'll probably have a, let's see, maybe a six-point win at okay. home, I think. So kind of how I view this is three, three-and-a-half-point favorite. That's more or less home field advantage right there, mm-hmm. in my opinion, right? So, you know, all, you know, taking everything into consideration, you know, between some injury questions for Michigan State, a matchup of like, uh, you know, maybe stronger offenses and defensive with some question marks. They've also had a couple of defensive injuries um, in their defensive front, right? So, you know, kind of as you laid out, it might be a little bit of a higher scoring game, but our overall offensive firepower and kind of that edge at quarterback might put us over the top, right? But maybe not in a blowout fashion. So 
I'd, I'd guess probably about a six-point win, so covering the spread as it currently stands. And then I think the over-under was somewhere in the 50s, and I could see us um, – I could see the game hitting the over. Yeah, from everything we've talked about so far, I'd be surprised, I think, if the, the total went under 60. Um, I'm really torn on, on – I'm going to need a little bit more time to think it through, but I think this is going to be a one-score game either way. I would love to see us kind of pull out something like, you know, 34 to 30 kind of along the lines of what you were describing. I could see that flipping either way. I kind of just don't want to get my hopes up. So maybe I'll end up picking Michigan state just so, cause I'm going to be happy either way. And I'd be happy to be wrong about that one. We'll see how it goes as the rest of the week uh, goes through. If we learn anything more about the matchup, but let's talk a little bit about the rest of the pac 12. It was a pretty exciting week. Another mostly positive week uh, for the conference probably the biggest headline was Washington state beating Wisconsin. Listen to these stats and tell me if this sounds like a team that pulled off the biggest win of the season in the conference, they're outgained 401 to 253. They went two for 11 on third downs. They were neutral on turnovers. They turned the ball over three times, but they were able to force three of their own. The time of possession was 38, 22 against Washington state. And yet they pulled it out in the end. How does that happen? I mean, it's everything every statistical marker was in Wisconsin's favor uh, and, and the Cougs were just able to kind of bow their necks at the right time. And a team that we've kind of seen wilting defensively year after year after year made all the big plays defensively when they needed them against a really talented, really tough uh, Badger team. It's kind of mind boggling to me, but can you help me make sense of that? It kind of, totally threw me for a loop too I mean heading into the season everybody was kind of uh hyping up Cam Ward and the new offense kind of sticking with that uh Washington State brand of we're just going to run up the score and hope our defense can do just enough to win us the games right but thus far it seems complete opposite right week one week two Cam Ward and company haven't really put it all together I think he had like 200 yards and two picks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, I always say it's better to be lucky than good, I guess. Um, kind of a theme from last year is that the Washington State defense had some of the highest turnover margin um, in the Pac-12, largely because of fumbles. And that kind of came up again this year. I mean, I was kind of expecting a regression to the mean because, you know, you never know which way the fumble is going to bounce and if you can jump yeah. on the ball and actually get that turnover. But they had some, uh, a couple of timely fumble recoveries. Um, they also got lucky that uh, Wisconsin's kicker uh, pulled a field goal. I think it was like wide right or something like that uh, t- later on in the game. That would have tied up the score right there uh, heading down the stretch. Um, also kind of bizarre that they got the ball back with like five minutes left in the game and sat on the ball to bleed out the clock and salt away a victory. So everything's upside down out in Pullman, but came in with a victory. And um, I think this was their first win over a ranked opponent in like three or four years. So, I mean, kudos to them. We'll cheer for the pack. You know, they're not, in my opinion, our most hated rivals. So, good on them and it'll be that much sweeter when we beat them at the end of the year 
Yeah, there you go. I it's gonna be weird if we're playing them this year and we're the high flying passing offense with some defensive questions and they're the team that holds opponents to fourteen points week in and week out and is able to, you know, sit on the ball at the end of the games by rushing for enough yardage to extend drives. It'd be quite a role reversal, but it seems like that's the direction we're headed. I grew up despising Wisconsin as Minnesota fan as a child. So this is not a fun game for me when these two teams play each other. It's, <laughs> I mean, 17, 14 is kind of about what I would want, but I, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to get too stressed about that one. Uh, the, that was probably the, the most impressive win, but the game of the week was definitely Oregon state over Fresno. There were three lead changes in the last two minutes. Our old buddy Jake Hayner was brilliant, led a, a, what looked like a game-winning drive in about 40 seconds uh, after they lost the lead with a minute 50 to go. Then Oregon State came back and scored on a, a drive. They got the ball with a minute five left. It seemed like they were going nowhere for the first three or four snaps, then had two big plays, pass interference in the end zone. They get the ball at the two-yard line with three seconds left, and Jack Costello runs it in. Oregon State goes 2-0, wins over Boise and Fresno. Great start for the Beavers. Just a crazy finish to that game. Do you think, I mean, Oregon State had a strong start last year as well. They ultimately didn't have the depth or uh, physicality to to last the whole season as a Pac-12 contender. Do you see anything different this year? They've got a little bit more experience. A lot of the same playmakers are back. Is this a team that could contend, maybe make, you know, enough noise, maybe get into the conference title game? Well, uh, see, that's a tough one because especially in a revised format where it's just the best conference records, I believe, it went into effect this year. They probably won't be making a push for the conference championship game. But if it were uh, the previous format, I think they might have been right up there competing for the Pac-12 North. they win the games they should and are always pretty sharp. And I think Jonathan Smith has done a good job in getting the most out of the talent there. I mean, game winning, you know, walk-off touchdown from your starting middle linebacker taking the direct snap. I mean, he's, he's having to pull some tricks uh, out to get some of these wins here. Um, They'll, they'll be exciting for sure. I think they'll play, um, their brand of football, I think uh, they won't have too many of those frustrating, unexpected losses. They'll do exactly what their talent says they should do, if not a little bit better. Um, by no means should anybody overlook them on the schedule. So, you know, it, it'll, it'll be tough. I think they'll play kind of the spoiler for a lot of teams this year. Um you know, if, if any opponents come out a little flat against them. So, you know, when they come up to Seattle this year, I'll be, you know, cautiously optimistic, but uh, not get carried away for myself. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think you're you're right that based on what little we've seen so far, it's probably easier to imagine them finishing ahead of Oregon than it is ahead of either Utah or USC to get to second in the conference. And if they only had to finish ahead of uh, Oregon and possibly us that would probably be a more realistic goal for them than also finishing ahead of one of USC or Utah but again it's two weeks Oregon may you know they just scored 70 points they may roll off a tremendous streak the rest of the way and make that Georgia loss a distant memory and USC may fold against tougher competition you never know we'll see so 
the conference ultimately went seven and three this week. The three losses were Arizona State to Oklahoma State, 34 to 17. Arizona lost pretty solidly at home to Mississippi State. And Colorado got blown out by Air Force uh, at Air Force Academy. Any bad losses in this group? Or is it one of those three that you think is the worst loss? I think all three of the losers were pretty significant underdogs going in. So is there, I don't see a lot of shame in what the Pac-12 did this week, but wonder if you see that any differently. No, it's pretty similar overall to kind of your thoughts. Um, we kind of, well, I mean, we might have gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves and expecting a breakthrough season from Arizona. I mean, they looked really good against San Diego State. But, you know, we, we also knew in the grand scheme of things that's still pretty early in their rebuild. You know, they still have a ways to go uh, to really get back to being uh, at that level of competition. Oklahoma State's a great team, so not really surprised there against ASU. And we also knew Colorado was probably going to be the worst team in the conference this year. So, I mean, while it's a bad look to lose to Air Force, you know, it's kind of as expected. So what, one other game that I wanted to bring up, uh, it was actually a conference game, was USC versus Stanford. That one was a little bit that kind of caught my attention uh, based on kind of all the hype surrounding USC and Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, and all of the star-studded transfer class additions that they had this past offseason kind of facing off against uh, kind of a Stanford in decline that's not quite as physical or talented or kind of quite as sharp as they have been in years past. USC still came away with the, with a pretty solid win, um, but kind of given where the two programs are right now and their respective trajectories and all of the hype, you know, I kind of I kind of expected to see a little bit more out of USC, right? Um, thus far, they've kind of beaten up on lesser opponents where they could really flex their uh, talent advantage, particularly on the perimeter. But um, you know, there's there's some of those lingering questions about okay, as they start playing um, more complete rosters and better talent in the Pac-12 uh, relative to somebody say like Rice. You know, will those lingering questions about their talent on the line of scrimmage kind of rear their ugly head? And, you know, while they've passed this first test, you know, there's still some uncertainty. Uh, I, I still think that teams like Utah and maybe Oregon down the line will really challenge them and, uh, you know, might kind of put a damp down some of the hype surrounding Lincoln Riley and his rebuild down in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I chalked that up to, I know USC got out to a pretty big early lead and they gave up a couple garbage time touchdowns, made it look a little closer. You could say that that's USC not being able to close out the game or, or letting their foot off the gas a little bit. I kind of chalked it up to win is secured, maybe take it easy a little bit. But I think that could go either way. It's not like they took Caleb Williams out of the game. So it wasn't like the the foot was all the way off the gas pedal and probably fair to be critical of what ended up being a 13-point win uh, instead of what could have been a lot more um, if the game had continued like it did through the first three quarters. 
I think that's all the football we uh, need to talk about today. So uh, let's get to the end, the part where we surprise coach by asking uh, to make a recommendation or a plug for a non-football related thing. And this is a tough week to do it because there was a lot of football in the last week. Anything uh, you got you want to throw out there? I'll defer to the second half and let you go first while I okay. frantically scramble around my brain to find something worth giving a shout out for. Yeah, I try to pick things that are a little, you know, fairly accessible that people might actually be interested in. Uh, but like I said, there was a lot of football this week. There wasn't a whole lot else. I think I talked about the U.S. Open last week and watched a ton more tennis this week. So between football and tennis, it didn't leave a ton of uh, other sporting or non-sporting event things in my uh, purview. But I'm, I'm, I've been reading a, a book of short stories by uh, 19th century Russian playwright Anton Chekhov. People know him as like, uh, Chekhov's gun uh, introduce something in the first act kind of let it linger build suspense comes back around this book of short stories has a bunch of really good stories and I think my favorite one from it is called the black monk which you can find for free online if you want to you know spend half an hour reading kind of a compelling story it's about somebody this guy who's a brilliant academic kind of teetering on the edge of madness and him having to kind of decide between living a relatively sane but normal and unexceptional life and giving into his insanity and uh, being truly great. And it's a, it's a very interesting, weird story. So if you are trying to find something, maybe, you know, a little bit more challenging in a way, eh, try it out. Chekhov's the black monk. It's not hard to find anything on your end coach. Well, not non-football related. I will go back to my tried and true default of giving a shout out to the Lincoln links 7.45, Friday night at uh, Memorial Stadium. We face off against Lakeside, who just lost to, I want to say Chief South last week. So not a great team yet again, but, uh, you know, it should be exciting. That's the biggest thing I got outside of UW football. Cool. As always. You guys don't play uh, or... Highline, do you? Are, you, are we going to have a uh, all we hear is purple Coach Cooper against Coach B showdown at some point? Uh, not this year until the potential in playoffs. So okay, we'll, we'll keep, keep that one. on that if yeah. that ever happens. Yep. We can have keep a, a trash talk though. battle on the podcast if we get to that point. <laughs> in the meantime, let's go Huskies this weekend. Big game. Let's fill up the stadium. Everybody wear their purple. Hope my new washing machine gets delivered in time for me to have a clean purple Husky shirt ready for the game. If not, everybody else can suffer. Or maybe Cody Pickle will show up and share one of his extras with me. He's a pretty big guy. We're probably about the same size. Getting ever closer. He's going to be on the podcast soon, I hope. In the meantime, thanks for listening and go dogs. Go dogs.